Welcome to Big Questions. This is Gal Fussman, and I had an interesting cross-connection last week. It started when a very unique podcast that I was interviewed on was released. It's called the Dream Big Podcast, and the hostess is eight years old, Eva Karpman. Well, she may be eight years old, but in some ways she's already a pro. Eva's been doing her podcast for a while now and already interviewed General Stanley McChrystal, the first blind climber to get to the top of Mount Everest, and other great guests. You can hear it all on dreambigpodcast.com. Watching little Eva ask questions made me wonder anew about childhood curiosity. It also made me think back to elementary school, to my teachers and what I was taught couple days later, I sat down with my guest on this week's episode of Big Questions, Jim Quick, and heard about an accident he'd had in elementary school that influenced his life and turned him into who he became. Who he became is one of the top brain coaches in the world, teaches people how to remember better, read faster, and also how to use their brains to stop procrastinating, improve their vocabulary, focus more clearly, sleep better, you get the picture. And when I say he teaches people, by that I mean he teaches leaders of Fortune 500 companies. You can go to his website and see photos of some of the people who've been curious about his learnings and his teachings. We're talking Elon Musk, President Bill Clinton, Richard Branson. And you can get a sampling of why Jim is so sought after if you go to his podcast on jimquick.com. That's J-I-M-K-W-I-K dot com. Not Q-U-I-C-K. It's J-I-M-K-W-I-K dot com. Please do yourself a favor. Click into some of his abbreviated courses. They're free. Each one's about 15 minutes long. It's like taking an afternoon snack. When I finished this hour with Jim, well, I was fascinated and the conversation went on longer than an hour, I thought back on Eva in elementary school. And I wondered, how much more would I have been able to get out of my life if I'd been taught other things as a child in school? Like how to remember better, how to ask questions, how to improvise, even how to breathe more efficiently. It was basically reading, writing, and arithmetic back then. There's not much I can do about that now. But as the saying goes, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Now. So I've decided to reach out to experts in many different fields and learn the things I need to learn from scratch. Starts right now with Jim. See, I have a problem. This problem really developed ever since I started speaking about a year and a half ago. After my talks, people come over to greet me. A lot of people. Never seen them before. Never met them before. We shake hands. They tell me their names. We part. And then, a couple of weeks or months later, I might randomly bump into them. And I just can't remember their names. A lot of people wish they could remember names better, and that's why Jim Quick teaches on the subject. 
I figured it'd be great to have Jim give a mini class on recalling names during this podcast so that everybody could get some insight and instantly be better at it. Conversation's going to go much deeper than that, but by the end, you are definitely going to remember names better. So thank you to my sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter. You'll hear more about them later for giving everybody an opportunity to remember better. Let's get straight to Jim Quick. Welcome to Big Questions. We've got Jim Quick. It is so great to have you here. Dude, it's good to be here, Cal. And thank you, everyone, in advance for listening. Well, I'm calling in a favor. Let's do it. All right, because one of the last times we met was over breakfast. You came to Larry King's breakfast. Yeah. And you had a sore throat. I did. It's not good for a speaker to have a sore throat or a podcast host to have a sore throat. And you had a speaking engagement the next day. Mm, Across the country, yes. And I was able to get you to Dr. Joe Sugarman. That's good you remember his name. That's what this is going to be about, remembering names. And Joe is the throat doctor to the stars. Yeah, he really fixed me up. And you got out there huh. and you pulled it off the next day. Could barely talk at breakfast. Yeah, but it was my it was the highest rated talk of that conference. So uh yeah, I didn't tell you that, but thanks for stepping up and shout out to Dr. Joseph Sugarman wow. <laughs> in Beverly Hills. Now I'm wondering, are you feeling a rumble, like an earthquake kind of rumble on this table? Um I mean it's not unusual in Los Angeles, but um this is a prequel to this amazing earth-shattering knowledge we're about to drop here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, the reason I brought that up, I remember taking you over to see Doc Sugarman and thinking it's really wonderful that I know Doc Sugarman so I can bring you to him and get you on the road in good health. Yeah. And now I need help. Okay, I'm here for you. I need help. Okay, calling in a favor. Calling in a favor because... I have trouble, I'm having trouble now, remembering names. And it's not like I feel like I'm getting Alzheimer's or anything. Mm-hmm. What's happening is since I started to speak, and your conference was one of the first time, first times I, I spoke, maybe second or third, more and more people are coming up to yeah. me. And, and they're coming up to me in groups of four or five people and the hands come out and they introduce themselves. And then six months later, they can come (laughs) over and, hey, Cal, remember me, it's Kylie. And a lot of times they don't tell you their name. It's just, hey, Cal, remember me? And I have no idea who they are. And it makes it worse when that person has the audacity to remember your name. Oh, everybody everybody is coming over. Yeah. it's going to happen in airports. Yeah. And so um, surprised, and then you want to be nice. Mm -hmm. You don't want somebody to think that you've overlooked them. Or, I don't know, maybe I had a few drinks and had a grand time with somebody, 
and I forgot. This was like a, I think it was, this was a Seinfeld episode, actually. You know, Seinfeld is all about everyday things, but I remember there, there was an episode, right? I think the listeners could remember this, um, where uh, Jerry was dating somebody, was intimate with her, and he didn't know her name. He forgot her name. And, it, you know, little things, like he would do certain things that we would all do when we forget people's names. Every time she walked, she went into the bathroom, he'd try to go into her purse, try to find her ID, her driver's <laughs> license. Every time, like, Kramer or George would walk in, they would introduce themselves trying to help Jerry get the name back. <laughs> and that's really awkward, right? And it, I think it actually, it rhymed with a part of a female anatomy, if you remember that episode. Um, and so I just kind of maybe dating myself here, but it's, um, I think it's a common thing, Kyle. I think everybody who's listening to this, 95% of the people say they, they're horrible with names. They meet somebody, you get their name, and then the handshake breaks, and then the name just falls right through the floor. Or if it's not a short-term issue, it's, it's a long-term issue. Like you're saying, you're at the airport, you're out and about, somebody taps you on your shoulder, you turn around, you see somebody you recognize, but for the life of you, you don't know how you know that person or what that person's name is. And then you're going through this exercise <laughs> where you're talking to the person, right. you're acting like you completely know them and your mind is racing. It is. And it, it's just trying to spark some memory yeah. That will bring the name back. You start going through like maybe the alphabet or something. Does this start with, a, this person's name start with an A or a B or a C or a D? You get really nervous when you get to like W because there aren't, there aren't, <laughs> there aren't a lot of letters. No, past no more that. X, Y, Zs. We had this guy at Larry's table. His name was Sid Young. Hmm. I think everybody in Los Angeles knew Sid Young. Yeah. Which was a problem for him. Uh, and also to be completely honest about it, Sid liked to drink. Okay. And so he would be out at night, he'd be drinking. And at breakfast the next morning, people would come over. Maybe they knew him for a long time or maybe they just met him. Hey, Sid, how you doing? And Sid was always the life of the party. So he would never admit that he didn't know the person's name. Okay. It was always, hey, pal, great to see you. Pal. <laughs> I think I may be wrong, but a lot of celebrities have the same problems because they're just being confronted with so many people. Right. And it's really hard to be able to break down a face right. and a name, glue them together and have them on yeah. instant recall. And even, well, you know, as as you, I mean, it's amazing. I remember you were speaking on our stage for the first time, and that was that's a whole story onto itself because it was all about, you know, Muhammad Ali, and he had he had just passed, and so that was a I know it was a very emotional moment. But um, as you get more and more exposure, uh, more and more people recognize you, and so you might not even have met them, and so you might not even know their name, but they know your name, and you're not really sure. Or you're, you know what I mean? Like they'll recognize you, they'll call you by name as if they know you because they listen to your show, they've seen your videos, they've seen you on stage. Um, you know, and I think one of the first questions you ask yourself is like, where do I know this person from? It's kind of interesting, right? You, because the, sometimes the context will give you the content. You know, we hear this phrase that content is king. And I feel like if content is king, then context is the kingdom. 
And uh, we could talk a little bit about some mnemonic devices, these memory aids. A lot of the ones that really work really well are based around location because we store information in space. You know, as a hunter-gatherer, you didn't need to n- memorize numbers or words as much as you need to remember where the enemy tribe was, where the clean food is, where's the clean water, where's the you know, fertile soil, because that's your survival. So we tend to store information in place uh, unconsciously. And, uh, and so sometimes knowing where you know the person from will give you, it's like a filing system for the person's name and all that information. So knowing that, when I go to a place, should, is there something I can do to create that file in my mind? Okay, I am in Cedar Rapids, <laughs> Iowa, right, where right, I'm right. gonna be speaking to the Iowa Hospital Association in a few weeks. I get there, do I tell myself something? Yeah. Do, what do I do? Yeah. Well, let, let's unpack this. You know, remembering names. I, I like I like this topic because I think if there's one skill to master, you know, when it comes to business or networking or anybody who has a relationship with a human being, which pretty much is all of us, um, is remembering names. Because how are you going to show somebody you're going to care for their business, their family, their health, their future, whatever it is you have to offer them, if you don't care enough just to remember you know, their name. And they say a name is the sweetest sound to a person's ears. And just thinking about the psychology of it, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, why is a name so important? Like, I remember when I was running a marathon, and I think I was in DC, it was like the Marine Corps marathon. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends or family supporting me there because it was out of town. But I remember at certain mile markers, I would hear somebody say, go Jim. And I would turn around and look, even if I consciously knew I don't know the person, just hearing my name made me just turn around, right? Because that name really, um, there's an emotional connection to your name. It's one of the uh, very first, it's funny when running out, somebody else would say, go quick. And I'd be like, I still look <laughs> because, you know, because my last name and all, you know, which is a lot of pressure when it says, you know, when, when your name is quick as a runner, you know, by the way, speaking of, speaking of names. Um, but I, I, I really do believe when I'm thinking about it, a name is one of the very first words you learn how to say. It's one of the very first words you learn how to write. And think about, you know, probably you were given a lot of love from your parents or a teacher when you learned how to write your name correctly and you associated that emotion to, uh, to your name. And really one of the keys to long-term memory, just kind of panning back a little bit, is um, the key to long-term memory is information by itself is very forgettable, you know, because it's, it doesn't really touch you. And, but information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. Information combined with emotion. And that's why, you know, when you spoke at our stage, at our event, you know, you're talking about storytelling and it's so engaging, right? The way you use your, your, your body, the way you use your voice, the way you tell stories. And people will remember that, right? As Maya Angelou has that quote that says something like, people will forget what you say, they'll forget what you do, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And that's really the key to a long-term memory. Information alone, you won't remember it, but information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. And you know this, Cal, like I bet you, you know, you could hear a song and it could take you back decades. Oh yeah, of course. Right, because information combined with that emotion really, really cemented it. Or it might be for some people, it's not music. Maybe it's a fragrance. You could smell a perfume or a cologne uh, or maybe a food 
right? Is there a food that you could eat? It could take you back to when you were a child because information combined with that emotion became a long-term memory. So we don't remember things that are ordinary. We remember things that are extraordinary. And what makes something more extraordinary are things that touch us, um, you know, in our, in our, in our heart that makes us feel a certain way. And so I feel like when we're talking about remembering names, a lot of people forget names because that person, there might not be any emotion that's there, but we'll remember somebody who made us feel something good or bad, but what we won't remember is somebody who's indifferent. You have just made me feel great. Yeah. Because what you're telling me is that in a sense, memory is in the heart. Yeah. And if, a person didn't make that connection in my heart, yeah. then it's not my fault. I don't remember your name. Well, I also you think- You didn't connect. For, for, your, for your friends <laughs> and your fans, they know this about you, is you're very memorable, not only in your name, but in your, in your presence, because you really, you make people feel a certain way. And people want, you know, they, you, they, you hear in sales all the time, this phrase that people don't buy logically they buy emotionally you know we do most of the things emotionally and um you know because we're not logical we're biological you think about when people um are happy or they get this full of love or caring or ecstasy whatever it is you have dopamine oxytocin serotonin endorphins i mean those chemicals are it's it's a very brain friendly way of learning information when you feel something like think about it i just said information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory where and if i was to ask anybody who's listening to this well, what what are the elements of the periodic table or something they learned back in school most people even though we learned it and we we had flashcards and we crammed and all those tests about history and state capitals and everything you know, what was the emotion back in high school that most people felt? Most people, for the most part, it's like they're bored, right? I mean, half the class is bored. The other half of the class is confused. But on a scale of zero to 10, what's boredom you know, on the emotional scale? It's like zero, right? And so information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. If the emotion people are feeling is boredom, which is zero, anything times zero is what? You know, wow. It's zero. And that's the thing. You know, when it comes to 21st century education, you know, rote memory doesn't, it's so boring. And that's why people don't recall the things that don't touch them in their heart. So I guess I have to look for a way to peer into somebody else's heart because I, I can tell a lot of people, they come up to introduce myself and they do want to make a deep connection. Yeah. But the problem is if four people come up at yeah. once, then it's very hard for me to compartmentalize on one. And I, I, you know what, I've had this problem where somebody comes over and I'm talking to them and then somebody else will come over and interrupt. Mm. And then another person, and then the first person I was talking to is, okay, you're busy, Cal, and then they leave. Right. And so I didn't know what to do, should I, be grabbing somebody by the arm and saying, no, 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 I want to talk to you. Stay here. Right. I, I got to figure out ways to be able to keep everybody in a place where I can make them know that I care. Yeah. And and know, know this. Like, I feel like you know, we're never going to be perfect at this. 
like I've been doing this now for, this is my 25th year of teaching and people often see me on stage. I'll have 50 people stand up and introduce themselves and I'll memorize all their names, you know, in an audience live, or I'll memorize a hundred digit number or a hundred, a hundred words forwards and backwards in random order. But I always tell people when I do this, I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express to you what's possible because the truth is every single person listening to this could do that and a lot more we just weren't taught. If anything, I feel like we were taught a lie, a lie that somehow our intelligence, our potential, our our memory is somehow fixed, like uh, like our shoe size or our height. And, the, and it's absolutely not true. Like we've discovered more about the human brain and memory more in the past 20 years than the previous 2000 years combined. And what we found is we're grossly underestimating our own potential, our own capabilities. And if, you know, we're taught this lie, but, and you think about memory, I always tell people there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's just a trained memory and an untrained memory. There's no such thing as a good or bad memory. It's just a trained memory and an untrained memory. The challenge is we weren't taught, we weren't trained, right? School was a great, the reason why I know it's possible for everybody is some people don't know this, but um, I, I grew up with learning challenges. I was labeled, you know, learning difficult. Now, I was going to get at this. How, how did you come to be so fascinated yeah. with the human brain? I mean, you could say my my inspiration came from my desperation, you know, like a lot of people who go through struggles in life, you know, my my mess really became what, my message. What happened? Um, the quick of it, <laughs> pardon the pun, was when I was five years old, I was in uh, kindergarten and um, I had a head trauma, a brain injury. Um, I never talk about really the specifics of it, um, but you and I, you know, we've I don't know. You're you're such you're such a great person to talk to and a friend to talk to, and and it's been a little while. So um, maybe I could go in a little bit of detail that I don't normally do. Um, sure. When we were when I was in kindergarten, you know, I was you were all five years old, and um, growing up, my my superheroes were uh, firefighters um, because I grew my right across the street, about a block away, was this firehouse from where I, where I lived. And, um, you know, my parents immigrated to this country. In the beginning, we lived in the, in the back of a laundromat and, you know, that uh, typical immigrant story. But um, these firefighters, I, they had helped somebody close to me, and I always admired them. And at, one day at school, um, there, were, uh, there was this commotion going on outside. And being five years old, none of us could see outside the window because we're so, uh, so small, right? And so we... Um, Somebody grabbed a chair and stood on it and you know, looked out and they said, it's a fire truck. And I love fire trucks. I mean, that's like seeing a spaceship outside for me as a kid. And so every, all the kids started grabbing their chairs to look out the window and I, I did the same. And the only challenge is, is right between the window and ourselves was this iron grate like radiator, these really rusty, like really kind of edgy, um, you know, heating devices. And um and so while I'm looking at my superheroes from uh, on top of this chair, I started to kind of lean towards and I'm kind of losing my balance. And one of the other kids pulled the chair out from underneath me uh, because oh, they wanted to man. use it so they could see what was going on. Oh, and I no. went, I fell headfirst right into the radiator and I was knocked out cold. And, um, you know, I was, my, my parents described it as, you know, I was bleeding all over and they, they were, you know, they rushed me to the hospital 
Um, but from there, one of the side effects of it was um, I was my my mom describes it as I was never the same, um, meaning my personality changed. And you know how much of a, a five year old six year old's personality was really formed. But I I became very quiet. I um, I didn't learn. I didn't understand things. You know, for years, teachers would repeat themselves over and over again, and I would have this even at that age, like an imposter syndrome. I would pretend I understood, but I really, in my mind. Didn't oh, understand. so you learned to even mask your facial expressions so that it seemed- yeah, and it was really I mean culturally, you know, growing up in an Asian cult um, household, it was we were more introverted by nature, but I also became shy, like painfully shy, and um, you know I talk about superheroes a lot because I uh, I had very bad focus, a horrible memory, I didn't nothing stuck, but um, and it actually took me an extra four years to learn how to read. Um, and it was so awkward, Cal, because I remember, do you remember where you first learned how to read and you would have to get in these circles and I get choked up even thinking about it, but they would pass around this book and you would have to read out loud to the rest of the circle. And I remember like every time that happened, it was like the worst. I I even feel it in my chest talking about it because I would, I I would remember as that book got closer and closer, passed on closer and closer to me because I, you know, I couldn't read. So I remember when it was handed off to me, I would just stare at it and just want to cry. I mean, I wouldn't though, because I wouldn't want that attention. And I would just pass the book on to the next person and the teacher, you know, would feel bad and allow it because I couldn't read. Um, and so those were, and I actually think that's where the fear of public speaking came from for a lot of people. Oh man! Because that's for the, you to come back and be in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, my two biggest challenges. I mean, think about it, like I think most people they say that public speaking is the number one fear in this country. You know, it's like number one is public speaking, number two is fire, number three is death. I mean, you know the old <laughs> joke, right? The, you know that if you're at a funeral, most people would would rather be in the in the coffin than you know giving the eulogy you know because it's like because it's such a big fear but i think it actually thinking about it now just reflecting on it i think it came from those reading circles because we're never good at reading the first time out or the first few times out and so everyone's looking at you and you're not good at it so you remember all learning is state dependent going back to emotions so the emotion you're feeling there is insecurity and you're not good and you associate that to public speaking for the rest of your life. And then you wonder why. But you know, if you don't understand, if you don't have that self-awareness, then everything just feels like it's just you know, you know, luck or bad luck or just nature or something. But it came, we learned it somewhere. But it's a second grade, third grade, yeah, you're going when, through this. And yeah, and I didn't know how to read. Actually, learn going back to superpowers i learned how to read by reading comic books late at night Uh, my my uncle my aunt they gave me comic books for my birthday and i would something i would stay up late at night when my parents thought i was asleep you know i was a kid underneath the covers with the with the flashlight and something about the illustrations about the idea of good versus evil um, really brought the words to life, you know, that one person can make a difference because that's the superhero theme of most of the, all these Avengers, X-Men movies that are out there. And is, you're in a struggle and right. a comic book is all about it, struggle. Re- it is. And my favorite comic book growing up uh, were the X-Men actually. And people ask why. And I don't think, not because they're the strongest, but because they didn't fit in. And growing up as a kid, you know, 
I didn't feel like I fit, fit in. I felt like I was different from everybody else. I remember at the age of nine, a teacher pointing to me, talking to another adult, thinking maybe I wasn't paying attention or I wouldn't be smart enough to understand. She pointed to me and said, that's the boy with the broken brain. And oh, yeah. man. And it's, it's hard to think about because for the parents out there or anybody who has a relationship with a child or maybe some of you were children <laughs> growing up, um, as an adult, you have to be very careful because your external words become a child's internal words. You know what I mean? And that became my self-talk, Cal. Every single time I wasn't good enough, you know, when I didn't do well on a test uh, or a spelling bee or wasn't picked for a, a team in, in gym class, which was often, I always said to myself, oh, it's because I'm, I'm the boy, I have broken brain. And you have to be very careful when it comes to your memory. I always tell people you have to monitor your self-talk. So many people, they say, oh, I have a horrible memory. And if I don't write my grocery list and triplicates, I'll forget it. You know, I want you to remember this or you know, I'm getting too old or this runs in my family and or, I'm not smart enough. People have to be very careful their self-talk because your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. Your mind is always listening, right? And here's the thing, if you go and talk about all your limitations, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I have a bad memory. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. You know, if you argue for your limits, they're yours. And so you always have to be careful of your negative self-talk. And I would say that's a good starting point when it comes to improving your memory. I remember I was running, a, preparing for this Marine Corps marathon and I was reading, I like to read, right? And I, I'm an avid reader. Now, now, ironically, I read about five books a week um, because I feel like leaders are readers. And Bravo. so funny, my biggest challenges growing up were learning, reading, reading. and public speaking. <laughs> and the universe has a real weird sense of humor because all I'm doing is public speaking about reading and you know learning. <laughs> and so, but it's funny because sometimes your biggest struggles become your biggest strengths. Was there a moment where the kid with the broken brain decided, no, I'm going to fix this? Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to fix it because, you know, I have that discipline. You know, when you're, I became painfully shy, you know, talking about the X-Men, you know, because I, I was just one that was, that didn't fit in and you would just watch people all the time. You know, I was not just introverted. I was just painfully shy. And so I remember uh, doing a book report. So I, I, was not, I wasn't doing well in high school, um, and I, especially in English, because that was my biggest challenge. And the teacher brought in my parents one day and said, you know, kind of teacher-parent conference and said that, um, you know, your child, he's going to fail out of this class, but I'm gonna, he, he's working hard, and I can see that. We're gonna, um, I'm going to give him an extra credit assignment to get some extra points. And um, I want, he said, I want you to do a book report, uh, a report on um, a person, right? And I chose Leonardo da Vinci and Einstein um, because those, those were the, like they represented like geniuses. And when I felt like I was not a genius at all. And I remember it, I worked on this assignment for weeks and weeks and weeks, a couple of months. And the day I had to turn it in, um, and I never worked so hard, Cal, for anything in my life anything in my life because I just, I wanted to prove to the world, prove to my parents, prove to myself that I was good enough, that I, I, that I could beat this. You know, like you're talking about, when did I want to fix this? I wanted to fix it since I've had it, this, this, this condition, if you will. And, um, and finally, day comes when I have to turn it in. And, and the teacher, um, you know, I was going to turn it in at the end of class and the teacher 
um, towards the end of the class says, hey, class, we have a surprise for you. You know, Jim there in the back. And most people didn't know who I was because my superpower growing up as a kid was invisibility, you know, because I was the one that I felt like was different. I just, I, w- I didn't ever wanted to be seen. I never wanted to be heard. Now, in actuality, I did, right? Like all of us want to be recognized and understood. But for me, I just wanted to be invisible. And they said, you know, Jim in the back there, um, Jim, why don't you come up and, and talk about your book report? Not read, talk no, about yes. it. And I didn't know, I thought I just had to write it. I didn't know I had to present in front of my class. Now, I never even raised my hand to ask a question in class. I never answered you know, in class because I just really didn't want the attention. And because I just were very self-conscious, right? And, um, and when she said, Jim, come up and talk about your, your book report, I, 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 I lied and I said, I didn't do it. And oh I had, no. Cal, I had worked on it for months, right? I mean, this was the thing I was most proud of, had right? They, they hadn't seen it? No, no. And I, and, and I know more about Da Vinci and Einstein <laughs> than more, more people should ever know. But I, 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 because of my fear, like my, my heart was being, I mean, just think about it, right? I've never public spoke before. You know, I'm, I'm scared to death of just interacting with people at the time. And my heart's beating out of my chest. I'm perspiring. I mean, I spent uh, years ago, I, I got an opportunity to go to Amazon Rainforest and we, we came across an indigenous tribe. We were the very first Western contact. I mean, it was an epic experience, but I swear I was sweating more in that classroom than I was in that, that entire Amazon trip. <laughs> and so I lied, I said, cause I couldn't even speak. And so I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. And I, and, uh, and I took a failing grade, a zero on it. And uh, on the way out of class, I didn't know, I couldn't even leave my, my desk. But after everyone left, I, um, I got up I took my book report, which I had bound and everything, and I threw it in the trash. No! Yeah, and when, as I threw it in the trash, I don't know, part of me also felt like I was throwing away like my potential or my, my, my hope, you know what I mean? Like that was my one shot and I felt like I didn't. Tell and, me the teacher saw you throw it in the trash. No, I didn't, I didn't. I what? Didn't. So it was just, I mean, these, I mean, everyone wants to hear the hero's journey and, but it was not, it was not pretty. It was very difficult. And that was pretty much my day to day in school until I got to, to college. Um, you know, I, I was a freshman and I, I wanted to make a fresh start. That's what I thought freshman meant. And, um, and I was really excited. I purposely picked a school that I was first of all, lucky to get into period. Where was it? It was a state school on the East coast. But the thing is, is I was really I picked a school that nobody else was going to that I knew because I didn't want their expectations to, you know what I mean? Sometimes when people know who you are, you tend to be that person because you kind of live up to their expectations of how they knew you. So I didn't want to go to school anyone knew me. And I wanted to show again, this is my another chance, the world, my parents, make them proud, myself. But um, I actually did worse. What? Yeah, because college is so much more difficult than high school because you spend less time in class, more is on your own, and I didn't have those skills to study, and I, um, I had, was working so hard. I always thought it was unfair that I had to work three times harder than everybody else to do less, you know, less well. And I was ready to quit school because we didn't have, the, honestly, the money even to go to school. And um, my friend at the time said, Jim, um, I'm going home for the weekend, why don't you come with me and just get some perspective? And he used this word perspective. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I noticed that, you know, whoever's listening to this, 
you know, a great recommendation when, when you're going through difficult times or problems is to change your perspective. And for me, it was changing people and place, right? But so anyway, I agreed to go um, to visit his family and the family's pretty well off, uh, beautiful home. And the father asked me this question. He walks me around his property before dinner and asked me a very innocent question that um, is that pretty much the worst question you could ask me. How's school? And I just, I just lose it. I, I start bawling, you know, it's this complete stranger. And I tell him my whole story, learning challenges, broken brain, ready to quit school, don't know how to tell my parents. And he says, stop. He said, Jim, why are you in school? And I noticed this, right? Even the, the whole theme of your show, Big Questions, is when you ask a new question, you get new answers. Nobody's ever asked me why I'm in school. And I really think questions are the answer. And you, if you ask big questions, you get big answers, right? And so seek, and you, know, and you, shall, you shall find. And I go to answer them, and I was like, I don't really know why I'm in, you know, why in school. Um, he's like, well, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? Share. And none more questions, right? And I go to answer him, and he says, stop. And he pulls out of his back pocket a journal. And honestly, Cal, I always, I just thought 11 year old girls carried diaries and wrote in diaries. But um, I noticed that geniuses keep journals. And I didn't know, I don't know if they've done research on this, but it's very curious to figure out is it because they're geniuses that they're writing all the time, like you? I feel like you're like right right up the top there. And I mean, I talk about geniuses, I'm not talking about IQ, I mean, just somebody who's ex, ex, exceptional in their in their field and you know is it because they're geniuses that they're journaling all the time or is it because they're journaling that they become geniuses you know that process of reflecting and organizing and putting in the work yeah that deep work and so um anyway he takes out these sheets of paper he hands me a couple of them and he makes me write write it down you know basically this bucket list why am i in school what do i want to be do have and share with the world and I don't know how much time goes by, Cal, but when I'm done, I have a couple pages and I start folding it up to put it in my pocket, thinking the exercise is over. And he grabs it right out of my hand. And I'm freaking out because, I mean, he's holding in his hands my, my dreams. And I didn't think he's going to read them because he obviously is very successful and he's a stranger, but he's looking at all my dreams and my goals and my fantasies. And I don't know how much time goes by, but when he's done, he looks up and he says, Jim, you are this close to everything on that list. And I'm, I'm spreading my index fingers out apart, about a foot apart. And I'm thinking, no way. He's like, yeah, you're this close. And I'm like, give me 10 lifetimes. I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his fingers, Cal, and he brings them to the side of my, my head, my temple. And meaning that what's in between my brain or my mind is the key that's going to bridge that and help me reach my goals and my dreams. And he takes me into a room of his home that I've never seen before. You would love it. It is ceiling to floor, wall to wall, covered in books. Like I've never been oh. in a library, like a library in somebody's house before, right? It's like Beauty and the Beast, right? Like, and and <laughs> but now, now keep in mind, as an eighteen-year-old kid, insecure kid with reading difficulties and learning challenges, like I don't like reading. I don't like books. I've never finished a book cover to cover, and so I'm phobic of books. I like, think about my reading experience and pass around that book. I'm, I don't have good associations with books. So it'd be the equivalent of somebody walking into a room full of snakes, <laughs> right? If somebody has a phobia of snakes. But what makes it worse is this man 
who becomes my mentor, he actually grabs these snakes off the shelves and starts handing them to me. <laughs> so it's like, and I'm looking at these snakes and I'm looking at the titles and there are these biographies of incredible men and women in history, right? These icons and some very early old school personal growth books like Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking and, uh, and Napoleon Hill, like all these classics. And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one of these books a week. And I, I just literally laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? Have you not heard all these, you know, I have learning challenges. Then I have, you get the story. I, exactly. I have, and I'm fighting for my limitations again. And, and, but I was like, I have all this schoolwork and I have midterms. And he looks at me, he says, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. Oh, you know, man. and this famous Mark Twain quote, but this was again, 25 plus years ago. And I didn't realize it was a Mark Twain quote, but I was like, that's really in, you know, powerful, insightful. And yet I can't read a book a week here. And very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out my bucket list, which he still has. And he starts reading every single one of my dreams and goals out loud. And something about a stranger who's right in front of you encanting your dreams, your deepest desires out into the universe. I mean, it shook with my mind, my heart, my soul, something fierce. And honestly, Cal, a lot of the things on that list were things I wanted to do for my parents, things they could never afford or could never, would never do for themselves. So with that motivation, I talk about motivation a lot when it comes to remembering names and memory. I was doing a talk in Silicon Valley and afterwards, uh, Bill Gates comes up to me. He's in the audience. And we start having this, I ask everybody, if you could have anyone, any one superpower, what would it be? And he says, Jim, the ability to read faster. And I was like, oh, I could totally help you with that. Um, <laughs> sure, but Bill. we start having this com deep conversation about the future of education. And I'm talking about it from a theoretical standpoint, like adult learning theory, meta learning, accelerated learning. And he's taking it from a uh, technology standpoint, tools and technology, and on theory about what the future education looks like. And then somebody, big crowds gathering, listening to this conversation. And one of them asks, you know, is there anything missing? You have the theory and the technology. And we talk about it and we we are like, yeah, motivation, understanding human motivation, why people do what they do, because a lot of people know what to do, but they don't do what they know. You know, and obviously, and many times common sense is not common practice, right? And so I think human motivation is a very important element to understanding how we learn and why we learn and to accelerate the learning process. Anyway, going back here, my motivation was to help my family. So he's reading out my goals out loud. And with that extra motivation, that leverage, I agree to read one book a week. And that now I'm, my parents, anything that's good that's ever came out of me comes from my parents. Like, honestly, if anything that's that's less than amazing, just if that's me. How but, old were they when they came to America? Um, my my father was 13. My, so my, he came um, Chinese, born in uh, Indonesia, and my mother's from Southern China. So they came here and- um, So they met when they were here? They met, they met here in the States, actually, yeah. Um, and- they met actually uh, at Kent State um, during the during the riots. Actually, my father wouldn't be able to go to school, but he um, he was a he was a very good tennis player and got a scholarship there where he met my mom. Um, but going back to just the discipline of it, they they really taught me to be able to honor my word. And if I was to commit to reading a book a week, to do it right. Um, and so now, fast forward, I'm back at school. I'm sitting at my desk. I have a pile of books 
that I that I have to read for school, and I have a pile of books I want to read that I promised to read, and I already couldn't keep up with you know one pile, much less two. And so, what do I do? I sacrifice the the most valuable asset I have that all of us have, which is our time, right? And I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't work out, I don't spend time with friends, I don't do anything that's good for me. I just live in the library because that's all the time I had. And it's not very sustainable. And I just pass out one night of sheer exhaustion. I fall down a flight of stairs. No! I hit my head again, Cal. No, this is like out of a movie. I, really, and now you're breaking. so bad. I hit my head again. <laughs> no, no. And I wake up in the... <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. Like, it's not even... Like, I've, I've fallen off rooftops. I mean, it's really... Um, but I end up... I wake up in the hospital two days later. And at this time, I'm wasting away because I haven't been eating or anything. I'm down to 117 pounds. I mean, I'm hooked to all these IVs. I'm malnourished. I'm dehydrated. I thought I died. And it was the worst, darkest time in my life when I feel like I don't matter. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And I just thought there has to be a better way. I mean, I thought I died. And maybe part of me, you know, I don't want to go there, but it's just when you don't feel like you're when you're especially when you're working so hard you know and you have that despair knowing that nothing you're doing is is showing any kind of results and i whether you're an entrepreneur or you've experienced this as a parent or you're in school you know we've all gone through those difficult times but difficult times they could they could define you or they could develop you right and we really could decide and i asked a new question because when i woke up a different part of my mind woke up also I was thinking there has to be a better way there just has to be a better way and I, I, as soon as I had that thought, I swear to you, Cal, the nurse came in with a mug of tea. And on the mug of tea was a picture of a genius, Albert Einstein, one of the ones I was doing the report on, right? And I, I get goosebumps. I literally have goosebumps. I, I call them truth bumps. <laughs> um, it was Albert Einstein on there. And the, the words on there was this quote. I, I read the quote on the, on the mug. It said this, and we've all heard this phrase, but it was especially meaningful to me. It said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And it made me ask a new question, right? Questions are the answer. This is the big question, right? I was like, what's, what's, my, what's my real problem? And then I said, my real problem is I'm a very slow learner. And I was like, you know, I have a very slow brain. I was like, well, how do I think differently about this? Well, maybe, just maybe I could learn how to learn faster. Or maybe I could learn how to have a faster, quicker, you know, brain, right? And I was like, my first, when I had that thought, I was like, okay, where do I learn how to do that? And I was thinking, school, where I learn anything, school. And I brought the, I got the course bulletin and I looked at classes for next semester, hundreds and hundreds of classes, and I noticed that one thing was in common. There were all classes, great classes on what to learn, math, history, Spanish, you know, all important classes on what to learn, but there were zero classes on how to learn, how to think, how to solve problems, how to focus and concentrate, how to read faster, how to remember more. I always thought, Cal, it should have been the fourth R in school. They teach you three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. But what about retention? What about recall? Yeah, what about yeah. what about remembering, right? Socrates says learning is remembering because people don't realize this, but everyone knows there's a learning curve. 
But there's also a forgetting curve that within 48 hours of listening to a podcast, reading a book, studying, going to a conference, anything, within two days, 80% of it is lost. 80%. That's not a really good return on your investment of time and energy and focus. And so remembering is really key, right? Because if you can't remember anything, then like if you lost half of, like people ask all the time, well, Jim, you could, I could go on Google and search engines and I could have all of the information there. It's yes, but the quality of your life comes down to the quality of your decisions, right? All the decisions we've made up to this point, but people could only make good decisions based on the knowledge that they were know, which means they remember. Like if you lost, simple thought experiment, if you listening to this right now, forgot half of what you know, half of the words you know, half of the expertise of your oh industry, God. half of your, what you know about your job, half the people you know, half of all that, how functional would you be? We wouldn't be productive at all in the least, but what if we could retain things? I believe that two of the most costly words in business and certainly in our life are, I forgot. I forgot to do it. I forgot to bring it. I forgot what we talked about. I forgot that conversation. I forgot that meeting. I forgot where, I forgot that person's name. Right? Every single time you say those words, you lose time, energy, credibility, opportunity, income. You know? And so my job is people ask what I do. What I really see myself as is a brain coach. You know, People have a personal trainer for their body to make them faster, fitter, stronger. But I wanna make people the strongest with the most important muscle, quote unquote, in their body, which is their brain. Time for a break from our sponsors. And it couldn't be a better time to break for our sponsors because it's clear. If you want to make a connection that sticks in somebody's mind, better base it on emotion. And that's why you should want to get the most out of your website. Squarespace allows you to be at your most creative. On Squarespace, your photos are going to pop. Your messaging is going to be crisp. The right photos and the right content will resonate on Squarespace and make the impression that you want. And it's precisely why I use Squarespace to host CalFussman.com. Check it out. Also, go to Squarespace.com and type in the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to get 10% off your new domain name or website. Hey, You'll remember me when you do. And ZipRecruiter. Now, I have a small startup, so I can't tell you that my staff has all been hired through ZipRecruiter. But I do have an emotional connection to that company. I know the people who started it and work there. I know the passion and the drive that they have. I know the standards they've set, and I know what they're shooting for. That's why I'm telling you, if you need to hire, all you need to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll get qualified candidates within 24 hours. And that's a free trial. I don't see how you can beat that. So give it a shot. ZipRecruiter. I'm telling you from the heart, it's the smartest way to hire. (music) 
but we're skipping the great scene in the movie yeah, here. Okay. So going back so here. So we're back there and you have this, this, this epiphany. Thought, yes. This epiphany. What's the moment yeah. where you say, you know what? This is going to work. This is. And I didn't know it at first, just like when people have that eureka moment. It's kind of like the elusive obvious. Like, why don't they teach you learning how to learn back in school? You know, meta learning. To ask questions. To, ask questions. to breathe. Exactly. To breathe. Because all school, they, they did, it was rote learning, right? We all grew up with this 20th century education that prepared us for a 20th century world. It was cookie cutter, assembly line, one size fits all, sit quietly, you know, by yourself, don't talk to your neighbor. But that's not the world we live in. You know, I get to do work. You know, I did this training at SpaceX um, for Elon and and his team there, and they're they're developing a world where autonomous electric cars and spaceships that are going to Mars. But our vehicle of choice when it comes to learning and education, the vehicle we choose, is like a horse and buggy in comparison, right? And they say have Rip Van Winkle, you know, the guy who's slept for decades. If he woke up from his slumber today, the only thing he would recognize are our schools. Oh, what a you know, line. Because it's, you know what it is? It's, and it's not a slight against teachers because teachers are some of the, the hardest working, biggest heart, dedicated people that I know. My mother became a school teacher because she didn't know how to help me with my learning difficulties. You know, my aunt's a school teacher. I have another Whoa. aunt who's a college professor. You know, it's not a slight against teachers. It's just the system itself hasn't, hasn't evolved and advanced as much as the world is has. And so we live in this digital age. When we talk about superpowers, they're supervillains. I mean, think about it. digital that weren't there generations ago. Digital overload, right? There's so much information, too much information, too little time. Chairman of Google, Eric Schmidt, says the amount of information that's been created from the dawn of humanity since humans walked the earth to the year 2003 which is what, a decade and a half ago? That amount of information, think about that. Right. All the books and newspapers and research. That amount of information, how long does it take to create that information now in today's world? Two days. No. Every 48 hours. I mean, think about all the blogs, the websites, the podcasts. I mean, just there's so much in YouTube, social media, there's so much information. So the amount of information is doubling at dizzying speeds, but how we learn it, how we retain it, how we you know absorb it, it's the same as it's always been. So that growing gap creates what they call information anxiety. Information fatigue syndrome is another word for it. Higher blood pressure, compression of leisure time, more sleeplessness. So it's a real health concern. So if you're overloaded, digital overload. The second villain, digital distraction, right? Think about it. It's one of the things, worst things to do and we, I've done a number of viral videos on this. I talk about my morning routine, and, you know, the 10 things I do. We, on our podcast, it's the most downloaded episode, the 10 things I do every morning to jumpstart my brain. And everybody has their routines, but mine are very brain specific because, you know, as they say, if you want to win the day, you got to win the first hour of the day. So the first hour I do 10 things to jumpstart my brain. But the one thing I will not do, successful people, they have a to-do list, but they also have a not to-do list. The, you know, the non-negotiables, the things they will not compromise on. I don't touch my phone the first hour of the day. You know, and I, when you watch these videos of me, the millions of views, and people dislike that because that's what most of us do. It's because it trains your brain. It rewires your brain for two things. It rewires your brain to be distracted because every single like and share and comment and cat video, you get a dopamine fix. And, you know, that runs along the pathways of motivation and learning. And so it becomes addictive. Um, on my podcast, I interviewed Dr. B.J. Fogg from Stanford University, who runs the Influence Lab there. And he's a master of habits. One of his 
students actually co-founded Instagram. And they say the average person opens up Instagram, I think, 150 times a day. What? And if you, if anyone listening to this opens it up less, that means somebody's opening it up a whole lot more, <laughs> right? Which is scary. But think about how addictive that is and how habitual it is. So like that, it was designed that way. And I'm just saying that every when you pick up your phone first thing in the morning, you're in these alpha, theta brainwave states, which means you're very impressionable and, and very... Uh, highly uh, suggestible. And so when you're getting those fixes, you, you train your brain to be distracted. But the second reason that it's it's harmful for you, that it takes away from your performance and productivity, it rewires your brain not only for distraction, it wires your brain to be reactive. Reactive, meaning that as opposed to creative. Right, creative or proactive or responding right. with thought. Because as you're listening to this, I know your listeners, they're, they're entrepreneurs, they're visionaries, they're not at the effect, they're at the cause. They, you know, they take responsibility for where they are because they're thermostats, they're not thermometers. Right? To have a quality of life, you don't want to be a thermometer because a thermometer, the function of a thermometer is it reacts to the environment. Right? But a thermostat's different. A thermostat sets a temperature, right? Or another word, it could be a goal or a vision, right? And what happens in the environment, it raises up to that standard, a new goal. And that's that's really what where our power comes from is when we know we're at cause. But going back to here, when you're picking up your phone and you're in that highly suggestible alpha theta state, which is a brainwave state, we train people to learn languages faster and facts and figures and everything. It's you're training your brain to be reactive. When you look, check your text messages, your voice messages, your emails. I mean, you know this, Cal. One email could ruin your whole day. It just puts you in a mood, and that you that you have negative momentum 100%. as opposed to positive momentum. So my friend Brendan says, he says Brendan Burchard says, you know, an inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. <laughs> Oh, I mean, man. so why when you're in this relaxed state, this meditative state, when you first wake up, do you pick up your phone and start checking your email box and you're fighting fires and you're, re you're reacting to everybody, everyone else's agenda for your life when better than that, you know, why not list out three things you need to do personally, three things you need to do professionally to make it a win, you know, working backwards from the end of the day, coming back, you know, doing this thought experiment at the end of this day. When I come home and my family asks or my friends ask, how was your day? It's like, I crushed it today. I won today. What happened that day? What are the three things personally and professionally did you accomplish? Because nobody's going to get through a 200-item checklist, you know, to-do list, right? And then so I write down three things personally, professionally, and then I don't check my messages until I just get one of those things done. So it's as simple for, for me. And so that, that's the way I start with a win there. And then I go from there. So that's the second supervillain, you know, digital overload, digital distraction. And the third supervillain, and I'll get back to my story, is digital dementia, digital dementia. And this is this new term in healthcare. I do a lot of training at the, like the Cleveland Clinic for Brain Health. I train their doctors and caregivers and researchers, you know, um, on prevention and such, keeping your brain ageless. And one of the best ways is key to keep your brain alive is novelty and nutrition. 
right? Because it's just like your body. If you want to build your muscle, you give it novelty, you work it out, and then you give it nutrition to feed it. Same thing with your mental muscles, right? New learnings. And there was a study done on these nuns, like these super nuns that are living 80, 90 and above. It was on the cover of Time Magazine. I don't know if you saw this, but they wanted to find out what was their secret to longevity. Half of it had to do with their emotional faith and gratitude, but the other half had to do, they were lifelong learners. And because they were lifelong learners, like always learning every single day, deep conversations, like, you know, like you have pretty much all the oh, time. There's hope. Yeah, there's it, hope. It added years to their life, but not yeah. only that, life to their years. But what digital d- dementia is saying is that we're so dependent on our smart devices. It does everything for us. It keeps our calendars, our to-dos. Uh, um, it's a simple math. Like I was out to dinner with a group of friends. It was 10 of us. And at the end, uh, the waiter brings our, our bill and three people took out their phones to take out their calculators to divide by 10, which is just moving the decimal point just one over, right? And so we've got so mentally lazy, like think about phone numbers, like like our phone keeps all our phone numbers. Like I don't want to memorize 500 phone numbers, but how many how many phone numbers, Cal, did you know? Like, or even, you know, as everyone's listening, how many phone numbers did we all know growing up? Oh man, Mohawk 7, yeah. 8424. Exactly, all of them. <laughs> we knew all the phone numbers of all our friends and family members. How many phone numbers do you know, Cal, right now? Not that many. Right. We know like one or two, and there's probably, is there a number, somebody you call like every day or text every day, but if your phone is dead? You're just hitting the button anyway. Mm -hmm. You're not even looking at the number. And here's the thing. Not that I want to memorize hundreds of phone numbers. Nobody should have to do that. But we've lost the ability to remember one. You know, and think about it. One name, one phone number, one PIN number, passcode, you know, what hotel room that you're staying in number. You know, like we've, we've lost that ability. That's digital dementia. It's like your brain is like a muscle, but it's use it or lose it. And if I put my arm in a sling for four months, would it grow stronger? Oh, man. Would it even stay the same? No, it would grow weaker, right? And that's what our mental muscles are happening. And so digital dementia is kind of like if we're relying on, they did a study, if you're relying on GPS even, you know, people are relying on GPS to tell them when and where to turn. They're not realizing when they would have mental memory lapses. So they're not going to the doctors to get checked out. So they're not getting early detection of brain aging like dementia. So we're so dependent. And again, I'm all for our phones, but here's the thing when it comes to your phones, your phone is meant to be a tool. It's meant to be a tool, it's convenient, right? But it could be crippling if it's if it's not used properly. And just like any tools, you don't wanna be dependent on it or codependent on it or addicted to it because a lot of people are picking up their phones all the time when they're just, they're picking up just, just out of boredom, out of habit because they've been designed to, to keep you engaged like that. And it's so interesting, Cal, I was noticing this the other day when I was just going about my day, I, I was looking, everyone's always on their phone, even at dinners, everything at restaurants where I was on their phone. So forget about the social imp- implications, forget about Facebook depression where everyone's comparing their life to the highlight reel of everyone else's life. So they're not good enough. And that that's a big challenge. But just even physiologically, when people are looking at their phone and most, you can't see this, but I'm just slumped over. This is how most people check their phones. They're slumped over and they're looking like this. And if you were just to take a silhouette of their physiology, their body posture, and just take the phone out of the picture, what does this look like to somebody? Wow, it looks like they're about to fall asleep. Yeah. Or, yeah. or they're depressed or right. they're sad. And that's what most people's physiology is telling their psychology is like this form of depression or sadness. And it's just their, their anatomy because even how they're holding the phone, it looks like, you know, they're in that place. And so well, what I'm saying is like, you know, your phone, your smart device is a, is a tool, but when it, so for you to use, but when it's using you, who's the tool? 
right? Literally. And so because we're getting mentally, we're not using our minds as much in that way, then our smart devices are making us not so smart. And so that's digital dementia. So what was, how did you get from this moment where you're going to push your mind out and, so what, and understand the brain to talking to Bill Gates? Yeah. So what had happened was this, I was in the hospital bed, 117 pounds, the mug comes out with Albert Einstein. I felt like I came full circle because that was my book report, right? Leonardo and Einstein. And, um, and those words that were on that mug made me think of a new way saying, and I, when I looked at my course bulletin, and I saw those classes, I was like, this isn't gonna help me at all. You know, I need to sharpen the saw, you know, which is one of my very favorite books. I talk a lot about books, um, was by Dr. Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the, the seven habits of the most effective people, and the seventh habit is habit is sharpen the saw. Meaning, if you have all this wood to cut, and we all have wood to cut, things that we need to do in our day, but if you have a dull blade, when's the best time to sharpen that saw? In the beginning, in the middle, or at the end? No one would say the end, right? You would sharpen the beginning because if you don't and you wait to the end, then you're working harder. You're you have, you're, you're suffering more. Sure. You're struggling more. You're taking more time, and that's what people are in their days. So I wanted to sharpen my saw. It made no sense for me to go back to regular studies in my schoolwork because it wasn't paying off. I wanted to sharpen my saw with the most important superpower there was, which is learning how to learn. Like if I was a genie, Cal, and I said I could grant any one wish that you had, I one wish. If you have one wish, what would you wish for? You would wish for what? you would wish for more wishes, right? Because that would be the hack, <laughs> that would be right? Number one. right? But if I was on the same, in that same spirit, if I am your learning genie, Aladdin, if you will, and I could help you learn any subject or skill faster, just one though, what would it be? The, the equivalent of wishing for more wishes is I would wish to learn how to learn, right? Because if I could learn how to learn, I could apply that towards anything. Wow. Anything gets easier because I sharpen the saw in the beginning, and so I wanted to sharpen the saw. So I go on this this quest, really answering this big question: as how do you learn how to learn? And so I started to read every single book I could get on the subject of adult learning theory, multiple intelligences, right? Speed reading, <laughs> this, memory this enhancement. This is the like, kid who really, was terrified. Exa exactly. When the book was passed. Exactly. To him. But you know when you reach that that near death experience and you feel like you're. And people hear near-death experiences if all the this time. this was in a movie, though, it would be like, okay, he had another accident, and now his brain was clear. I know. It's <laughs> like I got bit by a radioactive elephant, and I have this incredible memory or something like that. But no, for me, it, it was hard work, and it was deep work. You know, for, for me, I wanted to solve this riddle. You know, when that same event that you're speaking at our, at our event, Quincy, uh, I said, you know, creating We Are the World must have had a lot of problems building up to that. How'd you get over those problems? And he was like, Jim, I don't have any problems. And I was like, what? All of us have problems. He was like, no, I have puzzles. And he literally reframed problems into puzzles because puzzles have a presupposition that there's there's a solution for it. And it feels totally different. So I wanted to solve this that's, puzzle. That's great. I wanted to solve this puzzle, this riddle. How does my brain work so I could work my brain? How does my memory work so I could work my memory? So I started reading every book on the subject. I started studying like ancient memory techniques that they used 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece before we had all this technology and, and outsourced memory devices and brains, if you will. I, I, when I started studying magicians and mentalists and anything I get my hands on, audio cassettes, you know, dating back to every seminar, learning how to learn. And that was my obsession. And then I remember this, Cal, 60 days, about two months into it, a light switch just flicked on. 
and I started to understand things. I mean, I had better focus. I would retain what I was reading. You know, one of the things I, re I remember from one of your podcasts is you talking about how it takes a kid like 30 days to learn how to tie his shoes. Yeah, anywhere from, they say, they couldn't psychology say- like 30 to 60 yeah, days? Like, like, yeah, it's and the numbers are change a little bit. And in psychology, called the law of 21, about three weeks. Um, you know, some people say 21 to 30 days, which is why all our online programs, we publish these online speed reading courses, memory courses, focus courses, academic success courses, like, and they're all like 30 days long because it, it takes about 30 days to change habit. For the light switch to yeah, go Yeah, some people say wow. it's 66 days. I mean, it, it's, it's flux, but the important thing is it's consistency. Um, but it, yeah, about two months into it, a light switch went on and I started- What was that like yeah, moment I can, I for you? you. Oh, wow, I can tell you. I never, I've never talked about this before. I was in a lecture center. Um, this is the first knowing. Like maybe the powers came to me before, but I didn't really know it. It was like Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Understanding it, like, it can go up walls. Ex exactly. I was in a lecture center. And back then, you know, they didn't have the internet. Uh, and, but they had these um, these overhead projectors. Remember these overhead projectors? You would pull these like, these rolled up like. Sheets like, of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Would, they would write on it. It would have this really bright light and it would shine up against the screen. Sure. Um, so the, the professor is putting their notes up there and putting things on the overhead, these, these screens and stuff. And a big lecture center, 300 people. I remember, I'm still painfully shy and everything. And uh, and then he put something on, on the screen and... Um, a few seconds later, I just start laughing out loud. And I never laugh out loud because I'm just, I'm always trying to be invisible, this right? This is the quiet right? kid, the kid in, in the, the back, corner. Yeah. Nobody knows who that person is even. But I start laughing, I just laugh out loud because it was funny what they put up there. And everyone just turned around and looked at me. And it was the first time I was really nervous because I was like getting attention. But, um, but then uh, like maybe 10, 15, 20 seconds later, everyone else started to laugh also. And I realized that when they put that screen, that, that phrase, paragraph oh, on the on the thing, that joke or the riddle, whatever it was, that I had read it really you fast. You got it first. Yeah, I got it first. And then everyone else eventually caught up and got in. And they started laughing also as well. And uh, that's when I realized that that I had the these I had developed these powers. They were not gifted to me. You're not born with the ability to read anything. You know, it's a trainable skill. It's just when's the last time people took, for example, a class called reading? How old were you? Like six, seven years old. Correct. And the challenges, if you're listening to this right now and you know you're interested in reading faster, you know, we teach people to read something in three hundred percent faster with better comprehension. Essentially read something in fifteen or twenty minutes that normally takes someone an hour. If you're reading slow it's not your fault. We just weren't trained how to do that, right? And most traditional speed reading classes in the past, they it's more skimming, scanning, skipping words to get the gist. But, you know, my clients, for those of you, you know, follow me on Instagram or Facebook, I mean, they're the, some of the world's top country leaders in politics. They run big companies. They're top actors or they're do top doctors. You don't want your doctor to get the gist of what she's reading, right? You know, so I, I really focus on reading speed, but also not just speed, but reading, but smart reading, comprehension, retention. But anyway, the, one of the reasons why we read slowly is that's how we were taught. And we weren't taught anything more advanced than that. Because again, 20th century education prepared us for a 20th century world, which at the turn of the century is working in factories, 
I mean, that's, we just had to be able to follow directions. And that's really the assembly line really was a lot of the inspiration for education. It's like assembly line, everything is the same. You know, like our date of birth is kind of our skew in terms of our model <laughs> number and year and everything. And my thing is, if you're listening to this, you're thinking like how smart you are or how smart your kids are, you're asking the wrong question. It's not how smart you are. It's how are you smart? It's not how smart you are. It's how are you smart? Even standardized tests like the SATs that that measure verbal, like reading and math, you know that those are just two forms of intelligence. You know, but typical IQ tests, standard IQ tests, the presupposition is IQ is fixed. You know, throughout time, and it's you're stuck with that. You know, from a child on. But we know your intelligence is not fixed, and it's also talking about two. You know, a handful of areas of intelligence. And really, we know that it's not just math and verbal like the SATs. Like, what if somebody is really great skills, visual spatial skills? Like, they're great artists or sure. architects, right? Which has, you know, like that's equally important in society, right? What about kinesthetics intelligence? Like the Muhammad Ali's or the great dancers and athletes, the Kobe Bryant, like, you know, the most amazing kinesthetic intelligence. Where's that? What about musical intelligence? Like, you've interviewed like the top musicians that have, that have, you know, walked this planet. Like, that's an intelligence, but where's that being measured in those standardized tests? For example, what about interpersonal skills? Like you are exceptional interpersonal skills, people, people, great charisma and connector, communicator. But you know, where's that being measured? They never taught that in my elementary exactly. School. And then how useful could that have been? And not not just interpersonal skills, but what about intrapersonal intelligence? You know, where interpersonal is self to others. What about self to self? You know, people who have really deep intelligence and knowing about the human condition. Oh, self awareness. You know, exactly. And I think self awareness is a superpower. What a great course to take. Yeah, self awareness. So there's just so many forms of intelligence that are out there. And my thing is, it's not how smart. You you are, it's how are you smart? The old Einstein quote that is attributed to him saying that if you if you base a fish's intelligence based on their ability to climb a tree, they're always going to feel stupid, right? <laughs> and it's all contextual because who knows? Maybe Einstein, if his car broke down, he wouldn't know how to fix it. So it's all, intelligence is always context dependent. And so I realized that when this light switch went on about 60 days into it, um, I couldn't, I got angry actually, because I was really angry. upset, angry because like, why wasn't I taught these things back in school? Like oh, I suffered, I struggled. Why did I suffer? I, I, I struggled and suffered, Cal, like many people all through school. I thought I was not smart enough. I thought I was dumb. I thought I had all these, you know, it just, my self-worth was, you know, and then when your self-confidence and self-worth is low, what kind of life do you create around yourself? And I just felt like it was so unfair. I was just like, I had to suffer all that time because I wasn't taught these simple things that could have made my life easier. And so I started to tutor. So how I ended up doing this, you know, a quarter of a century later is I just started to teach, you know, my friends and teach students. And one of my very first students, she was a freshman, she read 30 books in 30 days. Can you imagine that, Cal? Can you imagine going online or going to the bookstore, picking up 30 books on leadership, marketing, health, great relationships, interviewing, whatever, and then really reading it and absorbing and understanding it, retaining it. She read 30 books in 30 days. And I wanted to find out, I believe one of the primary beliefs I have around learning is that genius leaves clues. Genius leaves clues. That if somebody is genius in some area of their life, that there's a method behind the magic. That when I go in front of a stage, uh, in front of an audience and memorize the 100 names, 100 numbers, 100 words, whatever, 
like there's a method behind it, right? That and so if you're willing to dig into it and, and unpack it, you could find out how and get similar results. So I wanted to find out not how she read 30 books in 30 days, because I know exactly how she did it because I taught her. I want to know why. Going back to motivation, the importance of motivation and remembering names or numbers or anything. And I find out that her mother was dying of terminal cancer, was given only 60 days to live by doctors. And the books she was reading were books to save her mom's life. Oh, man. Health, wellness, alternative medicine, and you know all this stuff. And I just wished her luck and good luck and everything, prayers. Six months later, I, I, don't, I haven't heard for, for months. Six months later, I get a call from this young lady, and she's crying, and she's crying. And I can't get a word out of her, you know, because she's just crying. And I find out there are tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how. They don't know why. They called it a miracle, the doctors. But her mother- Because of what she read? Yeah, but her mother attributed 100% to the advice she got from her daughter, who learned it from all these books. Wow. And Cal, at that moment, I realized that if knowledge is power, learning is your superpower. That if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower, and it's a superpower we all have inside of us. You know, we just haven't been taught how to release it. So since then, I've dedicated my whole life, my mission, to be able to build better, brighter brains. You know, going from the boy with the broken brain to helping people have their best version of themselves from their mind perspective. And really, for me, it's about no brain left behind. And that's why I do my podcast, <laughs> because it's democratized it. It's just every episode is 10 or 15 minutes. You know this. You listen to it. It's like, how do you remember names? I do an episode. It's everything. We have a private Facebook group um, that people join. They just post questions like, Jim, what are your favorite brain foods? Or how do you change a habit? Or how do you train those TED speakers on how to memorize their speeches or actors how to memorize their scripts or how do I remember this joke I heard this morning at the water cooler and I just literally take my phone and I just record the answer there and we just upload it as a podcast episode so they have me as their brain coach and they could just download everyone and just it's like a university on wheels it's, it's a, what's amazing is it's 15 minutes yeah. long and you, there is one in there about remembering names mm -hmm. and uh Let's get to it because yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, hoping yeah, for the yeah. super course. <laughs> the super course. This is but, the super but, course. But there is, you use the yeah. words "be swab." I do. I do to help people so remember let's, names. Let's, How? let's unpack names, Cal, and we'll make this a, a, a quick review for everybody here. Um, all right, so we already know how important remembering names is. We all we know all the, the pain we cause when we forget the name, and we know the embarrassment that comes with it, but the victory that comes from when you could walk into a room and meet 20 strangers and leave saying goodbye to every one of them. Who are they oh, all are going to remember? Dream. That's my, that's my yeah, dream. This is, this, I'm, we're that's gonna get, my we're, dream. We're going to get you there really fast. All right, so in really quick form, pardon the pun, um, I want you to remember this is the key to a better memory, and I'm going to go through this rapid fire. And people don't even have to take notes because you'll remember all of this. I want everyone to remember very quick, mom. Remember mom, M-O-M. And if you heard me say this before, just know there's a difference between dabbling and mastering something. And so use this as repetition, but, but listen to it with new ears and a beginner's mind. So let's say somebody has trouble remembering names, but there's a suitcase here of a million dollars cash if you just remember the name of the next stranger you meet. Cal, like, for you, tax-free, or for your favorite charity, are you going to remember that person's name? Yes. Of course. Guaranteed. Now, how come everyone who's listening to this, from people from around the world, we all have like, like everyone's a memory expert now, right? What, what, what technique did they use? Nothing. 
literally nothing. But the M in mom stands for motivation. And we've talked about it throughout this entire podcast, that the key to learning is really tapping into your why. One of my very favorite books by dear, dear friend, Simon Sinek, wrote the book, Start With Why. And really, I believe there's a success formula I call it H cubed. It goes from your head to your heart to your hands. That you could visualize things in your head all day, set goals in your head. But if you're not acting with your hands, what's missing? The heart, the feelings, the emotions. We already talked about how information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. That emotion is what fuels the car, if you will. So ask yourself, when you're meeting someone for the first time, ask yourself, why do I want to remember this person's name? Why? To win the million dollars. (laughs) And if the million dollars wasn't even there, why could you want to remember the person's name? To show the person respect, to make a new friend, to do some business, to get a new client, to practice these things I learned from Jim. Because what I practice in private, I'm rewarded for in public. What you practice in private, you're rewarded for in public, right? And so maybe it's, yeah, to, to, because if you can't come up with one reason, what's going to happen? you won't remember the person's name. And here's the thing, but I want everyone- You just motivated me with the million dollars. Yeah, I know, I know. But, <laughs> but notice, but the reason I bring that up is because as your coach and as your brain coach for you listening to this, it had nothing to do with your capabilities. It had everything to do with whether you wanted to or not. So when you say you're not good at remembering names, that's not true. You can remember a name. It's only one or two words, right? right? You're a genius. Like think about, Cal, how many lyrics to songs do you know? How many I, words? I, I know I know a lot, but not as many as most. I right. think there are certain people who have a proclivity for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but most people can remember dozens, if not hundreds, of sure. words. But how many did people actually? How many how many songs did people actually sit down and wrote, learning and flashcards no, and really study? No, it's just natural. Right, and that's the thing, natural, because we learn the best when we don't realize we're learning. Because the truth is, wow. we're all geniuses, and we all are organic learners. And so, yeah, check into the so. I believe genius leaves clues and the best person to learn from is not the person, the expert on stage or that writes the book or that's on the podcast. You are the expert of you. So, you know, reverse engineer it. You don't remember all names, but you sure as heck don't forget all names. Now, why do you think you remember some people's names? I guarantee you part of it has to do with motivation. Maybe you're attracted to the person. Maybe that person would be good for your business, right? They stand out in some way because it goes back to the why. Motivation is key. And if you don't have an inherent motivation, create it for yourself. And it's very simple and it's common sense, but common sense is not common practice. And knowledge is not power. It's the biggest lie there is. Knowledge is not power. There's plenty of people who, who know a lot of things that don't have the results. Knowledge is only potential power because it only becomes power when we apply it. It only becomes power when we use it. So in turn, this case, ask yourself, why do I remember the person's name? Come up with one reason and you're going to remember the person's name. The O in mom stands for observation observation. A lot of people, they blame their bad memory to their retention. It's not your retention, it's your attention. The art of memory is the art of oh, attention. Yeah, I the art of that. memory really is the art of attention. And you know this, you, you met President Bill Clinton, this is a story that I talk about, and you met a lot of amazing individuals and interviewed them, you know, whether it's Gorbachev, or Ali, all these individuals. I find that you know, it's funny, like the second time I met President Clinton, it was at a charity event and it was 2000 people and I got assigned to this table and I was the first one there. And then when I sit down right shortly afterwards, Forrest Whitaker sits right next to me and I'm a big you know, <laughs> Academy Award winning Forrest Whitaker. He was just in Black Panther. I love this guy. And right next to him sits Richard Branson. 
and then Ashton Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher's twin brother, who I didn't realize he had a twin brother, and then uh, and then Bill Clinton, twenty minutes into dinner, sits right next to me, and I post this picture on Facebook as and, and and Instagram because you look at that picture, you're like, who photoshopped that Asian dude in that photo? <laughs> but um, but I do it, and I mention these names not to drop names, but because if I talk about Bill Smith, people don't have a picture of Bill, they don't know Bill or anything. But if I talk about Will Smith. You know, next time you, it gives you a picture of who he is, and next time you see his movies or see him on his Instagram, whatever, it reminds you of the story. So with President Clinton, he sits down, and I met him once before, a couple years before that, very briefly. And what amazed me is when he sat down, he called me by name. He remembered my name, and okay, I was like, okay, that was fed to him. He knew he was sitting at his table, and the, but then when we were talking, he remembered our last conversation. And I was just like, okay, that would have been fed to him. And I was just like, you know, President Clinton, I'm, I'm like a memory guy. I, I, how'd, you, how'd you do that? What memory techniques? And he, he's telling me the story about his grandfather. And in Arkansas, they had the kids around in the living room. And, he, and he would, they would tell he would, the grandfather would tell stories to all of them. And at the end, though, something very different. He would quiz each of the kids to see if they were paying attention. And uh, that's wow. how he was schooled, right? And uh, in one way. And um, what? That's education. Yeah, I know. Really, like listening that's... and questions. I mean, that's that's what the whole show is about, right? And and I noticed something when he's telling me the story. I noticed something really eerie. He was making he was making me actually uncomfortable uh, because he wasn't looking at anyone else at the table. He was just talking to me. And there were a lot more important people in that room, and certainly at that dining table, than me. But he was just looking at me. And you could, because a lot of events, you don't do that, right? You go to events, people are always looking over your shoulder and who's more important and, or they're, they're not, they're not listening. They're waiting for their turn to speak right? or they're thinking about how they're going to respond, right? So they're listening to this internal conversation, but not the real conversation that's important. And, um, and there's this book, right? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the other habits besides sharpen the saw is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand somebody, then to be understood. Because ultimately what people really want, even I wanted as a kid- To be is, listened to. Yeah, they want to be listened to. They want to be heard. They want to be seen, right? And and really, so I felt so une- uneasy because have you ever met somebody, Cal, that just like is there with you and it's like nobody else in the world exists? That what everyone says, that's Clinton's- yeah essence and that's the essence that's what i mean so i think everyone regardless of you're listening to this your political ideology we have yeah everyone admits like has to admit clinton has a great communicate great communicator great charisma absolutely great connector and he's got this incredible memory and this powerful presence with people but i think his incredible memory and his powerful presence comes from being powerfully present that his incredible memory and his powerful presence with people comes from being powerfully present with people. Now, my question for everyone listening to this is who could else, who else could do that? All of us could do that, right? We could be powerfully present with people and just listen, right? Even if you write down the word listen on a piece of paper or type it out on your phone, listen, as a brain exercise, you could scramble those letters into another word perfectly. It also spells another word perfectly. Silent? Silent. There you go. You're really good like that. Silent. And that's what most people aren't doing. They're not really listening to somebody, right? People don't want your gifts. They don't want you to buy them things. They don't want your gifts. They want your presence, which is kind of interesting. Another word for gift is presence, but they want you to be present with them. And so M-O-M, the first M is motivation and the O is observation. And the last M are mechanics. And now these are the skills, the techniques, 
the, the strategies on how to learn another language, how to give a speech without notes, you know, how to memorize a phone number, how to think creatively, how to change a habit, all the things we teach step by step. But the reason why I put that last is because I believe 80% of success is psychology, motivation and observation, meaning that even if you don't use a mechanical skill like a strategy, if you're just motivated to remember somebody and you observe them and pay attention, you're present with them, you're going to remember the person, not just their name, but they're going to feel, going back to you know, um, what we're talking about, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They'll, they'll forget what you say, they'll forget what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Motivation is caring about somebody. Observation is just being present with them. So really, it's not even memory training. It's just being a good human being, caring for somebody and being present with them will help you to remember it. But the mechanical skills, like you said, like be suave and some of the, the pie technique, the stuff that we teach about in our courses and our podcasts, like those are the strategies. And I like strategies because if you walk away with anything from this interview, this conversation that we're having right now is to turn your nouns into verbs. What do I mean by turn that? Turn your nouns into verbs is this. You don't have creativity, you do creativity. You don't have focus, you do focus. You don't have love, you do love. In fact, you don't have a memory, you do a memory. So let's unpack that a little bit. People wake up in the morning and say, I hope I have motivation. You don't have motivation, you do motivation. And when you, the benefit of taking it from a noun to a verb is what? You turn it into a strategy. You do it into a process and and it's active. And it's not like, oh, I hope I get creative to write today. It's like, there's a creative process. Right, and just when, it, when memory, I hope I remember that name, I have that name, you don't have the name, you do a name. And so when you turn it into a, a verb, it's a recipe. And just like a recipe for your favorite chocolate cake or anything else, if you follow it, you'll get the result because genius leaves clues. Do you know, one of our great writers died the other day, Tom Wolf. Oh yeah. Late 80s, and he would get up and, and he would write until he finished, I think it was like 10 pages, triple spaced. Sometimes it would come fast and okay, work's done. And he could go have lunch. Other times it didn't come, he wouldn't get up. He would just do it. And this is exactly what you're getting at. I, I am so grateful because just the image you gave me of if there was, if you're gonna win a million dollars by remembering the next person's name, I'm gonna apply that now to, if I've got five people coming at me, mm-hmm. do I get the million if I can remember all five names or all eight names? You could gamify that. It's yeah, really that's, nice. that's, I'm going to leave this podcast yeah. with the Jim Quick million dollar memory game. And I'm going to try that out tomorrow morning. In fact, I'm going to try it out everywhere I go now. Yeah. And here's the thing, what'll happen, Cal. And you know the other techniques, like be suave and and easy as pie. And we we have all these. And You can get that on on your podcast. I did a whole thing on the FDR technique, how President FDR was great with names. He would just picture the name right on their forehead every single time and actually not just see it. I I would make it even better. You want to make a visual, auditory, and kinesthetic so you could see it in your favorite 
color marker and such, and you can say it. But then you could also, using micro movements, use your fingers, imagine you're writing it on their forehead, not actually. But those micro movements, there's a muscle memory too. And when you make it visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, you use more of your learning styles. And so we teach all these different methods that, that I teach. And really, just so you know, the speed comes through practice, right? And even I'll reach a threshold where you introduce me to a certain amount of people over a certain speed, like I'm not going to be able to retain it. Just like if you see people at the gym and they're big and strong, eventually people can't bench press a car. So there is some kind of upward you, limit, You have right? limits, right. But the goal though is always practice makes progress. It's not perfection. The goal is never perfection. You want to make progress. And what happens is even using these little distinctions like checking in with your motivation, asking you, why do you want to remember the person's name? Whether it's for the million dollars or just to make a new friend or something, or you know, using technique just to be silent with somebody and listening for their name. Here's what happens. You start getting results. And there's this, in psychology, they call it the competence-confidence loop, that the more confidence you get at something, the more confidence you get at it, more confidence. And since you're more confident, you're more likely to do that skill and practice more. So you're going to get better at it. So it increases your confidence. So it just creates positive momentum. And the goal is not to go into your next event, say, okay, I'm going to memorize a hundred people's names like Jim. What you do is say, hey, let me start with three. And then let me see if I can do five. And then success breeds success. You know what I I mean? And then you start to get really good. And then when you go into like the, you get smart about it, right? You use Pareto's principle. You you start leveraging um, the things that matter the most. So for example, one of the techniques we take is taking people's names and turning them into pictures. Very, very simple technique, right? So a person's name is Matt. Imagine you're using their tie as a doormat. You meet someone named Mary. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine Mike, they're jumping on the table and they're singing karaoke on a microphone. You're like, Jim, that's very childish. But I would ask them, those same people that say that, who are the fastest learners? Kids. 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 And they make fun of names too, right? It'll be like Cal the bowel. And and then Cal's in therapy for 10 years wondering, what's a bowel? And you know what I mean? It's like kids make fun of names. They they, They turn them into rhymes. Um, banana, fana, fofana, all just, that. As exactly. soon as you said that, that's but the song children that I was are such about. wonderful, wonderful learners. Even um, you know, I got to introduce um, two of my superheroes together. They wanted to meet each other, so I introduced them to dinner. Uh, it was uh, Richard Branson and Stan Lee. Oh, Stan wow. Lee. I mean, the creator of Spider-Man, X-Men, the Avengers. You know, co- co-creator. And I, when we're in the car together, I asked Stan you know, you created all these superheroes. Who's your favorite? And he's like, Jim, it's Iron Man. And he's like, Jim, who's your favorite superhero? And uh, he had a big Spider-Man tie. I posted this picture on Instagram. It's, I said, Spider-Man. And he said, Jim, with great power comes great Great responsibility responsibility. (laughs) in his his iconic voice. And I was like, and I have um, this, you know, dyslexia and I, I reverse things in my mind, just, you know, I, you know, I, the challenges that I have and I, I reversed it. And I was like, Stan, you're right. With great power comes great responsibility. If you're in a position of power, you have great responsibility to wield it and steward it well. But the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power. That when we take responsibility for something, we have great power to make things better. And a lot of people, they avoid responsibility. But here's the thing, thermostats, they take responsibility, right? They, they, that's what leadership is. And leadership takes the invisible and what's in your mind and make it visible. And responsibility, the ability to respond, that's the starting point for learning. That you're not just sitting in the classroom being lectured to and the responsibility is not on the teacher, right? It's on you and you're doing this together. So many people think they could sit in a class 
or just listen inactively, passively to a podcast and, and you know, you're, the expert's going to do it to them. But that puts the responsibility outside of yourself and you'll never have deep learning and a deep life when you're like that. When you take responsibility, then like, for example, learning is not, you don't learn through consumption, you learn through creation. You don't learn, your human brain doesn't learn by consuming information, you know, like out of a fire hose. It learns by creating it along with people. And learning is not a spectator sport, just like life. Life is not a spectator sport. But so many people treat learning and remembering as like a passive thing. Like they just, hopefully it happens to them. And what I'm saying, going back to responsibility, is as you're listening to this, you have responsibility and that gives you the power to make things better. And don't fight for your limitations and say you have a horrible memory. Be responsible for it and say, hey, there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's only a trained memory and an untrained memory. What must I do now to be able to train it and build these mental muscles? I am ready. Yes. I am ready. And then when it comes to the names, like, like be smart about it too. Like Mary, Mary had a little lamb. Imagine her carrying lambs. And what you could do is just go onto the... Go on to your website, like go on to the website and look at the Census Bureau for your country, because I know you have listeners in all around the world, and look at the top 100 male names and female names, and just come up with pictures for each of those. And then imagine you have a picture for everybody, like, you know, John is a toilet, right? And Carol is singing Christmas oh carols and so on. But if you come up with the pictures for the top 100 male names, you'll have 60% of the population. So the work is done for you. And then you can Whoa. meet five people, six people, 10 people, and it pictures, picture, picture, picture. You can do it really fast because picture is worth a thousand words. The boy with the broken brain became the man with the monumental mind. Oh, I like that, Cal. I'm going to use that. You know, we're, uh, we're at a point where I think we're going to have to wrap this up. Yeah. But this is only the beginning. I can't wait to get out there and for eight people yes. to attack me at once. Yes. All with their hands. Hey, Cal, how you doing? I'm going to remember everybody's name. Yeah. And, and, then, and then also, if you don't, you know, remember, it's a, like, I think that when it comes to the studies and self-compassion is be light with yourself. Know that we're, we're only human. And when we beat ourselves up, we actually don't get the result we want. But when we were like, hey, you know, we missed this, but we got this, then it, success breeds no success. Beating, no beating myself yeah. up. I'm, I am supercharged. I'm rooting for you. You got this. Thank you so much. This has been enlightening exponentially yeah. enlightened. Can I give a takeaway for everybody right now? There you go. What it's I would love yours. for everybody to do, because I, I love coaching like this, is this is my mantra. If you want to learn something faster, you teach it to somebody else. Because when you teach it to somebody else, you get to learn it twice. And so what I would encourage everyone to do is to re-listen to this episode. And what I want you to do is take a snapshot, a screenshot of this podcast, post it on your social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, tag Cal, tag myself. And then what I want you to do is share your big aha. What is your big aha that you got out of this conversation? Because when you teach it, you get to learn it again and deeper. And that way you'd be sharing with your friends and your followers. And I'm, I'm really curious because I'll get to look at every single one of them until I could personally thank you. And I want to see what your big takeaway is also as well. So uh, take a screenshot of Cal's podcast 
of this episode, post on social media, tag us both and share your big takeaway from this conversation. And uh, yeah, I wish everybody's life be really thank you for listening. And and Cal, you're, you're amazing. I, I could talk to you for hey, hours I'm upon the guy hours. Who I feel like I just won a million dollars. Time to wrap it up. My takeaway from this episode is to listen to it again. There were many times during our talk where I noticed Jim repeating key phrases. He knows how the brain works, and he seemed to be indicating that by hearing the information for a second time, I'd have a much better chance of retaining it. So I'm going to go back and re-listen, especially to the last 20 to 30 minutes or so where Jim's giving advice on remembering names. I'm going to incorporate this strategy in other areas of my life, too. Every day, I'm going to write down and refresh what I've learned to see if I can apply it better, if I can make it stick stronger. I hope you got a lot out of this episode and want to thank Kevin, the manager, for helping to put it together. You know, I got an email from one of my listeners, Adrian in London, telling me that her five-year-old son constructed a snowman in her backyard and has amused and befuddled guests by calling it Kevin the Manager. I can't wait to get a photo of that snowman. If you're up for it, please go to calfussman.com and send me a photo of where you listen to big questions. Every one of these pictures makes my day because I can see where I'm connecting around the world. Want to thank Squarespace and ZipRecruiter for making that possible? I use Squarespace for my website, so check it out, calfussman.com. And if you're starting a business and need a website, go to squarespace.com. Not only will you be able to get the framework for your own beautiful and unique site, but if you type in the offer code FUSSMAN, you'll get 10% off that website and a new domain name. Be more elegant with Squarespace and ZipRecruiter. If you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com, type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates within 24 hours. ZipRecruiter's algorithms are designed to get you the talent that you need. And if you go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, you'll get a free trial at ZipRecruiter.com backslash F-U-S-S-M-A-N. So uplift your company for free. It doesn't get any better than that. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Gonna leave you with a quote that resonates with me from Jim Quick. If an egg is broken by outside force, life ends. If broken by inside force, life ends begins. Great things always begin on the inside. I hope something great begins for you in the coming days. See you next week. Cheers! 